This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I want to thank you for supporting The Blaze. Because of your phone calls and emails, The Blaze has been added by many TV providers. But we can't stop now. The big media companies like DirecTV, Comcast, and Time Warner aren't listening. They think CNN, MSNBC, and Al Jazeera America are all you need. But we humbly disagree, and we think you do, too. Visit GetTheBlaze.com and let your TV provider know that you want The Blaze in your home. GetTheBlaze.com. Thanks. Will Kane, S.E. Cup, R. Kane and Cup, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Good Saturday morning to you. I am Will Kane. I'm S.E. Cup. Grab that cup of coffee, sit back, hang out with us for the next three hours. We have got a big, big show for you. We want to talk about under what circumstances is it ever appropriate to say, dude, dude, and... An interview with the media when you're in a position of governmental power? Ever, Essie? How many times do you use dude? Uh, Very rarely. Very rarely. We want to talk about the death penalty. We want to play a game of convince me with you. You convince me and Essie on something we might disagree with you about on the death penalty. We, of course, have a big game of Game of Bros. Mm. What is age appropriate? Mm. Mm -hmm. When it comes Mm -hmm. to dating, what is age appropriate? That's a little later in this hour. But first, <laughs> but first, let's talk about, let's start the conversation with the one that people have been having all week. And it is Los Angeles Clippers owner Donald, Donald Sterling. The conversation I want to have, S.E., is when do you poke your head up amidst the mob and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We all agree. We all agree. Donald Sterling is an abhorrent racist. But hold on, hold on. Have we gone too far? Does the punishment fit the crime? It's a, it's a question each and every one of us should ask ourselves, and very few do. And when they do, they are crushed. They are killed. They are absolutely run over by the stampeding mob. If there's any nobility whatsoever in what we do, in being a talking head, in having a microphone in front of you, the nobility is, in my estimation, to be able to say the unpopular truth when you are in a minuscule minority, when you are alone. Well, yeah, and let me just, I, I, I completely agree. And I think there's another side to that coin when some pundits and people with microphones take advantage of opportunities to say the contrarian thing just to get attention. That's not what you're talking about. You're talking about someone that stands up when the mob is going in one direction and the stakes are high and you know, you know that you're going to get killed but you still believe it's important and right to say the thing that no one's saying. Not to get a headlines, not to get not to get attention, not to be the crazy kook, but because you know it's right and if everyone would turn their brains back on, they'd agree with you too. That's right. And I think that the risk in the news story of Donald Sterling has been not that somebody stands up in some kind of attention-seeking contrarian way, but rather that everyone has broken their arm to reach around and pat themselves on the back, that everyone has rushed to say the truth, the truth that we are all in agreement with, that Donald Sterling is an abhorrent racist. But let us take a week, 24 hours a day, to all remind everyone that we ourselves are not racist. And by condemning Donald Sterling, that's really what most talking heads are doing. Mm -hmm. They are saying, hey, look, look at me. I'm not a racist. Me too. 
I am more offended and outraged than you are. And at some point, all of it became a little gross as every pundit outdid themselves to be the most outraged. Yeah, I I think it's also worth pointing out and others have made this point before when it comes to the isms and racism is included. um, It doesn't require narration. It doesn't require declaration. Racism is self-evident. It makes itself known. So the race to point out, uh, no pun intended, the, the, the race to point out just how racist Donald Sterling is, is a pointless one. His racism, once we heard that that um, phone call that was recorded, was self-evident. It doesn't make you a better, more interesting, smarter, morally upright standing citizen to point out that it's racist. His racism is there for everyone to see. And the opposite of that is when people talk about dog whistles and that's racist and you can't use the word golf or Chicago because that's ra- that's not <laughs> self-evident. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but but true know- racism is self-evident. Donald well, Sterling is a racist. It doesn't require us to narrate the history of his racism to prove how racist he is. Well, I think there's a point that's worth underlying here, and you made it there at the end of your, your statement. Donald Sterling is a racist, and you and I agree with that, and he needs to be condemned. But the rush for everyone to move in a herd to condemn him, the point I think I'm getting to is that movement of the mob has a cost, and the cost at some point begins a total divorce from rational questions about does the punishment fit the crime. Now, earlier this week, Donald Sterling... I mean, Adam Silver, excuse me, the commissioner of the NBA, he did lay out the punishment for Donald Sterling. And this is what he had to say about the punishment Sterling would receive. As for Mr. Sterling's ownership interest in the Clippers, I will urge the Board of Governors to exercise its authority to force a sale of the team and will do everything in my power to ensure that that happens. Now, to that Silver was universally praised. He was huzzahed from ESPN to CNN to across the Twitter sphere. Um, to give you an example of that, I want to play, if I can, Stephen A. Smith, the ESPN commentator, and he's reflecting what he says most NBA players and fans, including himself, wanted to see happen. Now the only thing left is for the owners to do three, do the same by uh, by giving uh, three quarters of their vote to get rid of this man altogether. This is what the players wanted. This is what Doc Rivers wanted. This is what Mark Jackson wanted. This is what the coaches wanted. This is what the people that were planning on protesting outside the Staples Center where I'm at right now. This is what they wanted. It's what I wanted. It's what every black person I know wanted because we found his statements to be that egregious. It's what the mob wanted. (laughs) But wait, what I love there is he says, we got to get rid of this man. Right. Now, I I mean, honestly, if if murder were legal, I truly believe people would want him murdered. Well, They would want him thrown at the bottom of a river. Well, I don't see an end to the bloodlust. We got one. We got one. We got a racist. Um, (laughs) Go get him. Go get him. uh, Head on a pike. It's time for head on a pike. Look, and here's the deal. (laughs) Here's what I'm getting to. You have to have some some tether, some more to your justice. You have to be tied to something, to a rule. It can't just be the mob's conclusion, the mob's popular vote, because then you run, you stampede into injustice. And I want to point out, SC, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban is one of the people that did exactly what we said at the start of this broadcast, stood up, poked his head up amidst the mob and said, hold on, wait a minute. 
Is this just? Does this punishment fit the crime? It's a slippery, slippery slope when you start looking at how people think. Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not supporting him in any way, shape, or form. I'm thinking this in terms of the bigger picture, um, which is why I don't want to say anything in the beginning. Um, because there's a lot more at stake here than fucking Donald Sterling. And that's what, that's what concerns me. That's bad audio quality, but that's Mark Cuban at a pregame press conference before the Mavericks and Spurs earlier this week. And what he said is this is bigger than Donald Sterling, and it's a slippery slope. We have an Mm -hmm. NBA constitution. We have rules that allow us to vote someone out of the league. And we've arrived at the point, S.E., where if you question the mob's justice, if you question what is appropriate, you're Mm -hmm. condemned as supporting Sterling. Cuban was condemned as a supporter of racism, a supporter of Sterling, Mm -hmm. because he injects the question which I'm getting to, which is this. The mob has moved. Is its punishment just? Can you force this man to sell his team? Well, yeah, and before we get to that exact question, the first question that you asked, does the punishment fit the crime? Let's be real clear here. The punishment we're talking about is for someone's opinion. We are punishing someone's opinion that, by the way, he expressed in private. It's a terrible opinion. It's an appalling opinion. It's an opinion we've said and and have to say over and over again because of the sensitivity around this issue. It's an opinion we disagree with. But it's an opinion. And no one is really asking the question, is it right that we punish someone's opinion? And yes, I mean, the NBA is in many senses, it's a private sort of enterprise and they have their own rules. And 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 in many ways, there is no place for those kinds of opinions. But it was a private opinion expressed privately. And now we are talking about punishing someone for their private opinion. I just want to be clear that that's what we're talking about when we're asking how we should punish this person. And And that's the slippery slope that Mark Cuban is talking about, punishing someone for their opinion. Yeah, and I want to be clear that it is my opinion that Donald Sterling does not belong in the NBA. I don't Mm -hmm. think he should own a team. But I don't have a rule that I can tether that justice to. Many people point out, well, the owners can vote by three-quarters vote someone out of the NBA. But it's not just a popularity contest to what you're saying. It's not just a mechanism to ostracize those whose opinion you don't like. It's actually laid out in the NBA Constitution. It's if you violate a contractual obligation. Well, I can't see that Donald Sterling's abhorrent opinion qualifies. So if you throw – and this, is, I think, is a slippery slope he's talking about specifically. Cuban is talking about specifically. If you throw out the NBA Constitution – If you throw out the rule, then we just have a three-quarter popularity contest. And Donald Sterling is abhorrent. But who is next? Where does this go from here? That's the slippery slope. You must tether your justice to a rule. Otherwise, it's simply a mob popularity contest. In this case, I actually agree with the mob. I don't think he should be in the NBA. Mm -hmm. But I don't have any rule to tie that opinion to. Well, yeah, and and just go back a little bit. I mean— it, you know, the, 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 the point with racism is that thankfully, thankfully, we have arrived at this country in a place where we are decisive. Racism is bad. We have all agreed that racism is bad and that there is no place in civil society for racist point of views. We have federal laws. We have local and state laws about anti-discrimination. And we've agreed collectively that culturally and society, socially, racism is bad. Right. But we have not agreed on every other popular debate. We have not agreed on gay marriage. We are still, go- for example, we are still 
working through the machinations of those debates. But if you're someone like Brendan Ike, and instead of working for Mozilla, you work for the NBA, and someone finds out that you have a personal opinion about gay marriage that is antithetical to the socially acceptable opinion, what's to stop them from saying, well, there's no place for that in the NBA? Well, let's do that. Let's talk about where this slippery slope leads. What's next for the NBA? If it's a mob rule of justice, if it's a popularity contest on your opinions, untethered to a rule, where does it go? I want to ask you at home, 888-900-3393, if you were the commissioner of the NBA, what do you think the appropriate punishment would be? And where do you think the slippery slope is leading? Give us a call, 888-900-3393. We'll talk about that when we come back on Kane and Cup. This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. If you were the commissioner of the NBA, what is the appropriate punishment for Donald Sterling? You can tweet us at Will Kane or at Essie Cup, hashtag Kane and Cup. Where do you think the slippery slope is going? If there's no rule that guides the justice here, if there's no rule that guides the mob's opinion, where does it go? I'll give you uh, perhaps a hint of that, Essie. This is uh, on CNN earlier this week. Uh, Host Don Lemon asked uh, their sports um, anchor, Rachel Nichols, this question. Rachel, other owners around the league, do they need to pay attention, maybe change their behavior a little bit? Rachel Nichols says, yes. I mean, in the NBA, you have an owner in Orlando, Rich DeVos, who's made very unpopular statements. He's campaigned against gay rights. He says that gay people should stop asking for special treatment because they want to get married. There are a lot of people in this country who think that this is a problem and that there is going to be more and more attention paid to what owners think. There's your answer, Essie. There's your Brendan Ike example. There's the slippery slope where this goes that Mark Cuban speaks to. What in the NBA Constitution allows for these popularity contests on people's opinions? Well, that's why I assume, in part, there is an NBA Constitution. It's why we put... We put parameters around these kinds of things because when, as you say, when we're completely untethered and left to our own devices and susceptible to a mob mentality and all the things that go along with sort of the social zeitgeist of the moment, right? When we're susceptible to all of that, then it allows you to turn your brain off and say, it doesn't matter that we have freedom of speech. It doesn't matter that we have privacy laws, property rights. I mean, it, none of that stuff matters. All that matters is we got to get this guy, silence him, punish him, make him go away. And it's tough because it's an emotional it's it's an emotional kind of experience. Remember when Mel Gibson was caught saying all kinds of, I mean, absolutely terrible things about Jews, about women to his then girlfriend. Um Oksana something or other. And Hollywood, I think, rightly, was furious and essentially banished him by popular vote, right? They said, we're not going to see his movies. We're not going to hire him. Um, We're going to splash his name all over the papers. We're going to play these tapes everywhere. And he became kind of a pariah. But then 
look look to another example. Um, what happened to someone like Roman Polanski? Well, Roman Polanski was allowed to make movies for a very long time after he did what he did. Mm-hmm. What is the line? And it seems really arbitrary. And it seems arbitrary in the NBA and in sports in general as well. While Donald Donald Sterling is not allowed to be a racist, are you allowed to be a wife beater? Because I'm pretty sure Jason Kidd is now the coach of the Brooklyn Nets. And I'm pretty sure he has a history of spousal abuse. That's cool. That's fine. Forgiven. No problem. That's actually illegal. That's actually a crime. Mm-hmm. Someone like Aaron Hernandez, the New England Patriots player, former player who may be connected to multiple murders. Horrible things. A laundry <laughs> list of horrible things. A laundry list. He's murdery. I mean, he's like a <laughs> hobby, a murder hobbyist. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> That's like what he does in his spare time. <laughs> I go hunting. I go fishing. You, you play with your kids. You go to the park. He, he murders people in his spare time. Allegedly. Um, and now, does PCP, which, you know, again. And does PCP. Right. Who does In it, his I spare mean, time. Right? You know? In Recre- his spare time. Recreational PCP. Look, he's just a fan of recreational PCP and murder. He's right. a fan. Right. Allegedly. And the Patriots, uh, before he started murdering people, he, he had a lot of run-ins with the law through college. And actually, the Patriots knew about his legal problems when they hired him. Turned a blind eye. Turned a total blind eye. Remember Marge Schott? Yes, totally. I mean, Owner of people the ignored Reds. how awful a person she was for decades. Ignored it. She made Donald Sterling look PC, by the way. She was owner of the Cincinnati Reds, if we need Holy to remind moly. people. The things she said in the 90s about her own players, about African Americans, about Jews, about the Nazis. Um, I don't know if she spared a single ethnic group in her. No, no. And, and these were not caught on tape. She said these publicly. She just said this stuff. Um, <clears throat> so I'm wondering, I'm wondering what are the, the character qualifications? Because clear, you can't be a racist. That's clear. But you can... Um, get arrested for drunk driving. You can get arrested for drug use. You can get arrested for brawling, for assault, for domestic violence. You can you can maybe even be a murderer. Well, look, if this was even if there were a rule back to my back to my um my requirement here that you have to have a rule to tether your justice to. Essie, mm-hmm. I don't know how you'd fashion that rule. How, what would it say? Now, I mean, clearly you could make a standard that if you have any criminal history or criminal convictions, you can't be an owner in the NBA. But sure. if, you, if you're or a if, player. Or a player, correct. But if you're dealing with the world of opinions, whatever your opinion may be on gay marriage, your opinion on 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 Jews, or your opinion on mm-hmm. on any form of racism, how do you fashion that? Like, what would but, the NBA Constitution say? Should you ever say anything offensive? The league owners can vote you out by three quarters of a vote. But what does offensive mean? You can't. No, uh, you can't but that's nail why, this down. No, but I, exactly right. You can't nail this down. It's opinion and freedom of thought and speech. Uh, clearly, the line is, and it's the line that we have in our civil society, is putting those discriminatory opinions into discriminatory action right. and doing so in the capacity as an owner. I mean, that's a clear that's a clear violation. But I don't understand how having an opinion is is punishable by the kind of banishment 
that people are advocating for. I just don't get it. And where does it stop? I don't. Well, we've got people on Twitter um, making some arguments about why it might have been justified to push him out. We've got some calls. I love your opinion at 888-900-3393. What would have been the appropriate punishment? And SE, you brought up something else that's interesting. People knew about Marge Schott. People knew, Mm -hmm. the Patriots knew about Aaron Hernandez before we all did. Well, you know what? People knew about Donald Sterling before this week. Apparently they did. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to all that when we come back on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. 888-900-3393 on Twitter at Will Kane at SE Cup. Where's the line? This is a slippery slope, as Mark Cuban says. If you kick somebody out for being a racist, where's the line? SE, it occurred to me that uh, this is a bunch of white people, you and me, sitting around talking about this on Twitter. <laughs> uh, Elisha Cruz says, "When the MSM claimed to be more offended by Sterling's comments than me." I knew this one was more political than it was racist, and huh. judging from Elisha's picture, he's a brother, so we'll bring in that perspective. <laughs> sounds weird when you say that. When I say brother? Yeah, it sounds weird. I want to bring in Reggie if I can. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Reggie, let's, let's establish some credibility, Reggie. You're black. Yes, I am. Last time I checked, I was, yes. Is it offensive when I say brother? No. No, I didn't say it was offensive. I said it sounds weird. Weird. You say it weird. Is it weird, Reggie? It did sound a little weird. <laughs> Thank you. It did. Reggie. And I also, I would also like to just, to, I would just like to assure the audience that we have not brought brought Reggie in, um, as an expert because he's black. We brought <laughs> yes, Reggie we in. Did. Yes, we did. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'd like his opinion. Yeah, because honestly, as a basketball fan. No, on, on, now that's racist. You're just assuming something with Reggie now. Um, now, no, honestly, I wanted to ask Reggie. I went to the commercial break and said, "Are we missing something here, Reggie? Are we missing something? A bunch of white people pontificating about where the where line is." Where is all this white guilt coming from, Will? It's not. Why? Yes, it is. Why? Why do you feel bad that we are both white and have opinions on this issue? <laughs> I don't feel bad. I'm it seems like you're overcompensating. Wondering if we are missing something. So, Reggie, are we missing something? No, you're not. I actually agree with SE when she was talking about Jason Kidd and um, his. He had I mean, he's had domestic violence issues in the past, and he's also had a DUI charge last summer mm-hmm. before he took the next job. But yet people forget about that, and that's okay. But yet Donald Sterling, who is a racist, mm-hmm. I, I agree he is a racist. But yet his gets way overblown. Again, he was secretly recorded in his house making racist comments, which again are offensive and mm-hmm. are extremely wrong. But yet, how many people make comments like that? In their homes, like it is, it is a slippery slope when you start taping someone in their mm-hmm. home, making comments like that. I mean, someone has probably made a comment like that in their home or in their private, you know, private thoughts once in their life in their lifetime. And right, I just feel that 
Is he racist? Yes. But it's, go- it's getting way overblown now. I think, I mean, you can't really take, oh, I don't feel like, you, and again, I, I think he can't take away his job, actually. I think yeah. he should still be an owner in the NBA. Well, I don't think he should be an owner, but I don't think you have a mechanism to exercise that justice. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, Reggie, we'll bring you back in a little bit um, for a little bit of Game of Bros. We'd love to have your perspective on that if you're cool with that. Not because you're black. Not because you're black. Because <laughs> you're a bro. Because <laughs> you're a bro. Can you have or a as black? Would say, Wait a minute. As Will would bros, say, you're a brother. Wait a minute. Are bros specifically white? Are there black bros? That may ha- I'm, I may call an audible on Game of Bros. We're going to get to that a little later. Oh, let that's me, interesting. Let, let me go to uh, Kenny in Texas. Kenny, um... Uh, what do you think? I know you have some questions about where the line is on the slippery slope. Well, I was going to tell you where the line is to answer Ms. Cup's question, and that line is when the government does this nonsense. Because the NBA, uh, they're dead to me, they're dead to Doc Thompson, they do a lot of uh, dumb things, but the bottom line is they have the right to do it because they're a private organization. Hell, they could kick him out if he wore a white suit if they wanted to. That's not true, though, Kenny. That's not true. No, they have a constitution. Yeah, so that's the whole point I've been making. I appreciate your desire, your effort to distinguish and delineate between government action and private action. However, the point I'm making is the NBA, the both of us, SCR are making, has their own constitution, their own guiding principles, right? And it's laid out when they can and cannot vote someone out. It's, it is the, the line everyone keeps repeating over and over, three-quarter vote, three-quarter vote, three-quarter vote. But the three-quarter vote has conditions. It's if you violate a contractual obligation. You can't be kicked out for wearing a white suit. You can't be kicked out, and from what I've read so far, for not liking black people or gay people or whatever it may be. There is a guiding principle to the mob's justice to the popularity contest. And it was set by the NBA itself. I mean, this was not imposed on the It's their own... It's their own parameters. When you bought the team, you seemingly understood the contractual obligations you were signing up for. All right, well, the NBA, they're... They can have a three-quarter vote to change the Constitution at will and make it legal if it's um, pop- unpopular enough, whereas, uh, thankfully, our actual government, it takes a lot more effort. And besides, the NBA, they're only affecting one person right now. If the government does it, you're going to talk about affecting thousands of Absolutely. people or more. Absolutely. Sure. You're right. You're right. Um you're right. We need to sure. definitely guard ourselves against governmental intrusions upon free speech. But it's not the only form. It's not the only form of freelancing of justice. Let me go to Donald in Georgia. Good morning, Donald. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Great. Good, good. Hey, um, I'm in Georgia, but I'm a rapid Patriots fan. I grew up in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And what you were saying about what Kraft and the Patriots knew about Hernandez mm-hmm. is uh, a big exaggeration. Oh, how so? They knew that, they knew that he, he had a troubled youth. He lost yes. his father very young. They knew that, that he tested positive for marijuana once. Uh-huh. And they also they also knew that he showed contrition and and he was a great player of people. No, no, no. Nobody they they also knew. knew he had a lot of he had, he got into a lot of trouble in college. He got into a lot of trouble in college. What the the trouble he got into was was fist fights. Yeah. Let me, uh, if I can, I want to leave it there, Donald, because I don't. Uh, I'm, I'm not, not sure. The, I'm not sure the point that that's that's okay. I mean, this was a troubled guy. They took him on. 
But the, they you know, knew, and, and they and they actually hid. They hid a lot of this. But here's the thing: Donald could be right, okay, on the Patriots. But the point of this discussion isn't necessarily to defend or condemn the Patriots organization in particular. It's that often in sports they know these things before they come, right? And in the case of Donald Sterling, this guy had a long history. He had racial discrimination suits on the housing front dating back to 2006. He has anecdotes, at least, of people saying that he had reflected these opinions long before this taping by this. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, this was this was a, 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 apparently the worst kept secret in the NBA, and it remi- it was a little like high school the way everyone came out to be. Like, oh, oh yeah, I knew, I knew, I knew he was a racist. I, I've known for years he was a racist. Everyone comes out to say that they knew all along for three decades that Donald Sterling was a terrible person, and yet did everyone turn a blind eye? I mean, I have to imagine if everyone knew, then David Stern, the commissioner before. Adam Silver had to have heard of this stuff. Were there no investigations? Did they just not have enough evidence? I mean, I was on CNN, uh, the CNN Sunday show with Elsie Granderson, who you know. He's a sports pop culture commentator. And uh, I asked, I said, Elsie, I don't understand if the NAACP knew that Donald Sterling had this reputation for being a racist— for all of this time, yet they gave him an award before and was set to give him another award. Why? And Elsie said, money. Money. He donated a lot of money to the NAACP and other, you know, other groups. Money. Right. Well, that's disgusting. And in fact, makes everyone in the league complicit in Donald Sterling's continued existence. And his ability to be and operate as a racist for all of those years. Because when money is involved, apparently, people are pretty willing to turn a blind eye. Well, and when money is involved, that's when they're unwilling to continue to turn the blind eye. We have a couple of people on Twitter pointing out they can vote him out because it is impacting their financial interests. So Steve Krakauer, who's actually the digital producer here at The Blaze, Hmm. tweets at me, the Clippers were threatening to sit out the playoffs. Disaster for the NBA. Less a moral decision and more a business one. And then uh, Danny Cray on Twitter pointed this out to me, or Danny Cage. If I owned a kinder care and sold a franchise to someone in New Jersey and audio got out of him saying he hates kids, et cetera, et cetera, he'd have to go. Well, yes, that is a. These are smart arguments, but they are still not necessarily tethered to a rule. I know there's going to point back to say, well, there the NBA Constitution says if you if you impact the ability of the NBA to operate financially, whoa, then whoa, whoa, you whoa, can whoa. be voted out. But hold on, where is that line? The 76ers but, well, are tanking. Is that not is that not impacting the go, NBA? You got to lay out your rules specifically. Let me let me go go back a second. Go back a second. Okay. If I hate kids, I'm not allowed to own and operate a Kinder Care franchise. No, no that saying, doesn't make any sense. If I hate hamburgers, can I still run a McDonald's? Yeah. That I, makes absolutely no sense. Well, of course you're allowed to hate kids and still run a business as long as, again, that hatred doesn't express itself in discriminatory or abusive behavior. Or in your franchise agreement with the, the person that sold the franchise to you, if you had these kind well, of right. things laid out, they could say we could rescind your franchise or, or force purchase it back. Don't take you. away my ability to hate kids. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you, uh, you don't like kids. No, I like kids. I'm, all I'm saying is that that analogy mm. made no sense. I mean, it's it's exactly the same as this. You're not allowed to have a certain opinion. I don't care if that opinion has to do directly with the business you do. If it doesn't get in the way of the business, and, and I'm not saying that 
that Donald Sterling's revelations haven't gotten the way of business. They have. But you're allowed to have opinions. That's the point. That's what we're defending here. Exactly. Those opinions. Yes, you can run a kinder care and hate children. Well, yes, I... you can run a McDonald's and hate beef. I'm not just defending opinions. I'm care- I-, I care about the rules. Am I the only one around here that cares about the rules anymore? I care about the rules. Nothing? Big Lebowski? Uh, Jonas Miller on Twitter. The dangers of the line is that it is dictated by the mood swings of the mob. Exactly, right. Jonas. Right. Exactly what I'm it afraid of. It is capricious. Of. It is based on the momentary zeitgeist of the culture. And that's what I meant. The, mo- the zeitgeist of the culture, again, thankfully, is that racism is appalling. That is agreed upon. It is decisive. That's where we are in society today. And that's a good thing. Right. We are not as decisive on every other issue. That's the slippery slope on those issues that have yet to be decided on which we disagree and disagree passionately. Also on Twitter, Tolly Schmidt points out V. Stiviano's quote, I'm Mr. Sterling's everything, confidant, best friend, silly rabbit, not a lady of the night. I guess that's a direct quote. I don't know. I'm taking it from Twitter, which is surely a direct That's reputable. No, that's reputable. Well, I do know she said she's going to run for president. No, no, no. What wrong? I think she said she's going to be president. <laughs> I think she skipped over the running part. Can I? I totally. Can we talk about her? Do you want to? You want to take a break and then come back and talk about Vistaviano for a well, moment? Well, yeah, because no one else is, and I think we should. All right. When we come back on Canning Cup, we've got another couple calls, and I think we have to talk about our next president, Vistaviano, mm-hmm. on Canning Cup. This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. And Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. V. Stiviano, our next president of the United States. Yeah. The mistress of Donald Sterling. The assassin of NBA owners. <laughs> uh, she's also popularizing the visor, the full face visor. Has he you ever worn the full face welder's mask visor before? I think you know the answer to that question. <laughs> Here's what I don't get, by the way, okay? And it applies to the Michael Jackson um, surgical mask as well. We know it's you. We know it's you. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, V. Stiviano, like, you got cut-off shorts on up to your crotch. Why the need to cover your face? Like, what right. is it? Is this modesty? Is it anonymity? Because you're failing on all accounts. I think I think she's a weirdo. I think she's a weirdo. Um, what's, what's interesting in all of this, though, is that I, very few people are talking about about her in this and what she did. And because because he is so, uh, you know, very obviously the focus and the outrage and indignance is is directed right to him. And I guess that's that's appropriate. But let's not forget. I mean, let's let's consider some of the background here. V. Stiviano. Was sued in March of this year, just a couple months ago, coincidentally, for embezzling. $1.8 $1.8 million from the Sterlings. Well, now, to, to, to be fair to that lawsuit, the allegation, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is by Donald Sterling's wife who says she used, that V. Stiviano used her feminine wiles. Feminine to, wiles. That's, that's directly from the complaint, I believe. 
Yes. I'm, I'm no, ser- oh, oh, no. I'm, I'm looking at it. Yeah, yes, I'm being serious. Directly from, yes, me too. It's, I, I'm being serious. The, the complaint is that she used her feminine wiles to cajole gifts. Who hasn't been there? But to cajole, cajole gifts out of the Sterlings, out of Donald Sterling, including a $1.8 million apartment that is deeded in her name. And the, there's countersuits, and, and that suit is not resolved yet. But she's being sued, and apparently she outright said, I'm going to get you. I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to publicly humiliate you. And then she very systematically went about doing just that. And I did find find her quote. She has no plans to run for president. She says, I will become the next president. However, that's supposed to happen. Did she say she's the not next? even worried about the election? Did she say next? So like 2016. Hmm. Let me go back. Next president. She's next. Sorry. I'm I'm looking. I'm looking. I, I I left the page on that quote, but I'm looking right now. <laughs> she set herself a short timeline. If that's the case. Well, uh, I mean, everyone's talking about. Everyone's talking about Hillary. Maybe. Um. Maybe Elizabeth Warren. No one's talking about. No, she says one day I will become president. One day I will become president. Well, she's shown a great ability to move the mob. She's shown a great ability to mobilize people. And in the end, that's the conversation we've been having for the last she hour. She got him. She got him. It's in the end. And I, 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 run, I feel like we run the risk of, of chastising Vistaviano, of it sounding like I'm taking up, that you might be taking up for Donald Sterling. It's not what's happening. Just asking justice to be tethered to rules. Our opinions to be tethered to something other than the mob's agreement. Yes, turn your brains back on. Yes, we hate him. He's loathsome. Turn your brains back on. When we come back, Kane and Cup, convince us on the death penalty. Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network. Let's play a little game. Let's play a game of convince me. I think, I anticipate, that my friend Essie and I might have some opinions that differ from some of you listening over the death penalty. Now, the death penalty is back in the news this week. Down in Oklahoma earlier this week, two planned executions went wrong. Um, Two murderers. One, convicted of raping, burying alive, and murdering a 19-year-old girl. And a second, who was convicted of raping and murdering an 11-month-old baby, were scheduled for execution on Tuesday night. The first, last name is Lockett, was scheduled for lethal injection at around 6.30 on Tuesday night. He received the cocktail, three-drug cocktail of lethal injection that normally takes somewhere between six and seven minutes to kill the prisoner. It took, in this case, 43 minutes for the prisoner to die. 30 minutes after he was pronounced dead, he was still alive. After he was pronounced dead by the prison doctor, he continued to mumble, lick his lips, said, man. Many suggest this 
veered horribly into the realm of cruel and unusual punishment. In fact, it was such that the second execution, the murder of the 11-month-old baby, was stayed to pursue an investigation into what happened with the first execution. As I said, the death penalty is back in the news. It's back in the headlines. It's back in the conversation. Many people are suggesting we need to revisit this concept. Is this a moral concept? Has it gotten to the state where it is cruel and unusual? Now, here's the convince me aspect to this. I want SC and I to both lay out our opinions on the death penalty. And then you at home, 888-900-3393. Tell us where we're getting this wrong. Tweet us, at Will Kane on Twitter, or at SE Cup on Twitter. Let us know. SE, you want to start out? Tell me where it is you are on the death penalty and whether or not you think conservatives should support this policy. Yeah, I'm, I'm against the death penalty uh, on a number of levels. And I want to lay out my appeal on the death penalty on on a number of these levels so that conservatives listening at home who may think that their their mind is made up on this can challenge their own assumptions because honestly before these these two cases come up we don't talk about the death penalty all that much no we don't as much as we debate everything else it seems we really i feel like our 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 two sides of this have hardened their opinions and we've kind of let it let it go We've we've moved on. We don't we don't revisit the death penalty until something like this happens. And even then, I'm not sure that really opinions and and hearts and minds change. But as a conservative, I I really think it's time for us to challenge our position on this. And I'll go through a number of a number of reasons. The, the, The first appeal that I have is and I think this speaks directly to why so many people feel strongly in favor of the death penalty. It's that eye for an eye sense of justice. And for me, my first challenge to our listeners at home and to conservatives is, is it really more punitive to put someone to death rather than leave them alone in a cell for the rest of their lives to rot alone with their thoughts, with their guilt, with the the, the knowledge that they will be stuck there for the rest of their lives? To me, just on that eye for an eye, that sense of vengeance that is buried deep down inside every single one of us, whether we admit it or not, it feels more punitive to me to spend life in prison than to kill someone and essentially give them the easy way out. Number two, uh, I'm not sure, I'm not convinced that, that capital punishment and the death penalty is an effective deterrent if we're looking at a practical level. Um, the states actually that impose the death penalty report the highest murder rates in the country. Now, I don't know that that's causal. I don't think you can make the argument that that's causal, but it, it certainly hasn't been a deterrent in these states. And actually, only three states without the death penalty rank in the top 25, and those are Michigan, New York, and Alaska. And I think we all can, without doing too much unpacking, understand why the murder rates are high in those states. Detroit, Michigan, and Alaska, unfortunately, is is a pretty high crime place um three so so we've got we've got we've got the question of whether it's punitive enough Mm -hmm. two we've got the question of whether it's an effective deterrent Mm -hmm. three uh, what you just brought up is the logistics of it these drugs are getting uh more expensive because pharmaceutical companies are getting less and less comfortable with their drugs being tied to and associated with capital punishment and so as these drugs float in and out of the market, now we're actually having to go to Europe for a lot of these drugs because U.S. pharmaceutical companies simply will not sell them anymore. We're going to have more and more episodes where lethal injections go horribly wrong. 
And maybe we can go back to the firing squad. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure folks are are there anymore. They like this idea of painless, quick, easy, and it's becoming not painless. It's becoming not quick. It's becoming not easy. That's logistics. Right. Finally, uh, sorry, two more. The moral question. It's an hour show. We got three hours. Okay, just just so, so you know. Yeah, but I, I'm I'm almost done. Okay. The moral question. I am pro life. I assume many of our listeners are pro-life uh to me i can't jibe my pro-life position with a pro capital punishment position i it doesn't make any sense to me and so i think if we're being intellectually honest with ourselves we have to ask ourselves how committed to life we are but i think the most convincing the most convincing argument against capital punishment that should apply should appeal to conservatives of every stripe moderate, libertarian, social conservative, is that it's, it's, it's not fiscally effective. The cost does not make it worth, worthwhile to keep the death penalty in action. And let me give you some examples. It's not the cost of the drugs. In Texas, for example, the cost of the drugs for lethal injection is about 83 bucks. It's nothing. But the trials, start with the trials. The trials for death penalty cases can cost as much as 50% more than the trial for a case where life in prison is the sought penalty, right. is the sought-after sentence. Can cost 50% more. Just the trial. Right. Then you get to incarceration, and you're at $90,000 more per year per inmate to house someone on death row than to house them in prison for life. North Carolina figured out they could save $11 million a year by abandoning the death penalty. Listen to this. New Jersey, before abolishing the death penalty, New Jersey taxpayers over 23 years spent a quarter billion dollars to execute exactly, precisely, no one. Not a single person. Well, okay. Let the me do cost, this. The cost isn't there. It's not punitive. It is not a deterrent. It is not morally responsible. And the logistics of it are failing us, as we as we saw with these two cases. Well, let me respond to each of your your um, yeah. pieces of evidence you introduced in your case. 888-900-3393, because while I'm going to rebut many of these, I want the audience to convince us. Ultimately, I reach the same conclusion as you, that conservatives should not support the death penalty. But interestingly, for a completely different reason, none of your top five reasons. Um, but I want to respond to yours. Again, I want the audience to also convince us on Twitter, at Will Kane and at SE Cup. Here's the deal on, on some of your reasons. First of all, mm-hmm. I'm going to go through a few of them. Deterrence. I think you're right that uh, the the data and the research shows that it's not necessarily proven to be a deterrence. It's not mm-hmm. uh, an appropriate justification at this point. On your point about logistics, many people have said, how is it that we can't get the logistics right on yeah. – administering lethal injection. In fact, on Twitter, um, Karen, who is a, a vet, um, is, a, is a, a DVM, so Dr. Veterinary Medicine says, I do not understand why this happens. Maybe they should mm. insult us. Um, it's true. We have pets hmm. and animals that are, that are administered lethal injection. You know, the truth is on but, that but story. But I told you what, but I told you why. Yeah, we know. I, because we know. no one, because no one feels bad about being associated with veterinary 
pharmaceuticals. But that's not the only reason. So we've been using this three drug. We've been using this three drug cocktail since the 1960s. It was developed in Oklahoma, and every state adopted it. Um, and it is an antiquated notion. You can administer mm. lethal injection with a single drug, with a single barbiturate that allows people just to go into a deep sleep. Some states have begun to do that. Mm. We, for some reason, most states are holding to this three-drug cocktail. The logistics should and can be worked out. And by the way, the concept of the firing squad does not offend me, which leads me to your first point regarding hmm. vengeance and punitive the punitiveness of this. I believe there are multiple theories of punishment, one of which is vengeance. And societal vengeance is a legitimate reason to institute the death penalty. Many people what? point out, it's true, many people point out that what these guys did to this 11-month-old baby, what these guys did to that 19-year-old girl burying them alive, it's what he suffered on Tuesday night is nothing compared to that. And I believe right. there is a role for vengeance. I do. And I think the firing squad is not less humane. I think these arguments that you present are not the most compelling to me. The moral one is interesting. No, no, no. But no, but it would let me stop you there because I'm agreeing that if if the, your your rationale for supporting the death penalty is is vengeance, then shouldn't you want the more punitive punishment? And I think, the more punitive punishment is not to put these guys out of their misery with all the fanfare and hoopla of a last meal and an eyeful of reporters. I think that's your subjective opinion on what is more punitive. I don't agree with that. I, I think that death is more punitive. You don't think this guy got off easy? What it, whatever it is, it doesn't. it's an opinion at this point, right? What we our perceptions of vengeance are can differ. I can't convince you, you can't convince me, but you can't tell me that my vengeance isn't legitimate um, no but that's exactly right so vengeance is subjective if you are the victim if you are the victim of the family member if you are the person who's looking this criminal in the eye and it happened to you you're going to want a different punishment than society might feel well how but, can we how can we adjudicate based on that but then now you're making an argument for empowering the victim and the victim's family not for but so are abolishing, you by, but not so for are abolishing you. the death penalty no, no, no. no, but so are you by empowering this idea that vengeance is actually a legitimate reason to want the, the death penalty. No. Then you have the next logical question is whose vengeance? No, I am giving vengeance as a legitimate public policy reason to have the death penalty. I'm I'm suggesting society's collective decision that this is the appropriate form of vengeance justifies the death penalty. If by the way, I again, I'm just rebutting that portion of your mm -hmm. evidence. I don't think there is a justification for the death penalty for a wholly different reason. But okay, going through okay, your go reasons, last, I think that the morality one is interesting. I would just make this distinction. Being pro-life is about innocent life, not yep. tarnished life, not proven unjust life. And and but look, we we need to take no, a break. No, life is life is life. Life is life. And sure sure there's there's an innocence versus a guilt, but life is life. No. And well, well that's I mean that's the kind of pro-life I am. And because it is not motivated or informed by a, a religious underpinning, to me, I can't separate. Life is life, and if I'm not in the business of taking life away, then that has to apply across the board. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree. Life is life because we go to wars. We have a lot of justifications for killing, and killing bad guys to me also has a justification. But I have a different reason to oppose the death penalty. Okay. We need to take a break. We'll get to that when we come back on Kane and Cup. Will Kane and Desi Cup will continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network.
part of the next generation of talk radio. Kane and Cup is on. 888-900-3393. Convince me why conservatives should support the death penalty. SE has laid out her case. She made several compelling points, including the logistics have gone to the toilet on the death penalty. It's not an effective deterrent. She can't reconcile the morality of it being pro-life and doesn't think it's the most punitive justice you can administer. I, I feel like I, compa- I I appealed yeah, to a lot of different conservative nodes, you know, like, you know, where, where conservatives might be stuck on this. I feel like I hit them all. I'm proud of myself is what I'm saying. A couple uh, points on Twitter on the convince me mechanism. Jonas Miller says, I struggle with the cost and the effect of capital punishment, but I think sometimes evil just needs to be taken out. I, I get um, that is, again, that's, that's the, the emotional mm-hmm. vengeance. I get it. I don't think this is the most punitive, but you th- you think that's my opinion. That's right. Rob Supan on Twitter says the death penalty should not be considered vengeance. It's punishment. It's equally weighted consequences to the act committed. Well, that's like, isn't that what is it? Hammurabi's code, eye for an eye. That's Hammurabi. That's right. Yeah, that, that's eye for an eye. And, and actually, even though that's vengeance based, which I don't like, that's at least... Um, Something tangible that you can sort of, but but again, it doesn't make sense. Like right. this guy that raped a child, then well, well, then we should rape a child. I mean, the 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 equal right, reaction right. is not to kill him. Well, here's why I think conservatives should be opposed to the death penalty, and I'm going to loosely tie it to your final reason, your number five, which is that it doesn't make fiscal sense. But all of these pale in comparison. In fact, without this final one, Se, I would be for the death penalty. Your all of your justifications would not convince me. Okay. This is what convinces me. It's the prospect of innocence. Wait, wait, that, wait, wait. I just want to be clear. The cost thing is also not, not a part of your That's opposition. Right. It, and okay. I'm going to explain why it's part of this. The, okay, the okay. most compelling reason to be opposed to the death penalty is because of the prospect of innocence. That the single worst thing that a state can do to an individual is snatch its life from that man. It is to move, as to tie it to our earlier conversation about the mob— to move as a collective group and say your life will no longer exist, we have decided as a whole. And the prospect that the mob can be wrong. We know our criminal justice system is wrong. We know that people have been exonerated by DNA evidence. Something like over 1,500 people since we've been developed DNA have been exonerated. 150 people, over 150 people have been moved off of death row. You cannot convince me that we haven't killed an innocent man. And as long as that prospect remains possible, that's the ultimate evil a state can do, a state I, I can commit. And yeah, if, think, that, if that possibility mm-hmm. exists, then I can't get behind it. I can't allow that flaw to result in that consequence, an innocent man being put to death. Yeah, it's, it's the one versus the ten, right? Uh, do, are you in favor of the ten getting justice? If it means the cost of the one not getting justice, and I, I would, I, I, I agree. That's another compelling reason. Um, I think it's interesting that that in in laying that out, you you said the single worst thing the state can do is to snatch the life away from someone. And and what you really mean is An unless that person's person. guilty. Yeah, unless yeah. that person's guilty. Then innocent state, carries all the then weight. The state's for me. allowed. Yeah, innocence carries all the weight for me. Um, you know, this ties back mm-hmm. to your point about morality, how I distinguish this from abortion, why I'm pro-life when it comes to abortion. But I don't consider um, support for uh, the death penalty to be incongruous with that opinion. And by the no, way, on I your think- on your mm-hmm. fiscal point, if I can point out, the reason that doesn't sway me is most of the, the fiscal cost is to ensure we don't kill an innocent person. 
Right, which is compelling for you. But but I think what we should also point out that your position is not untied to your position on abortion. You are pro-life because the life in question is innocent, as you say. That's right. And why does it need our defending? Because no one's no one else is defending it. No one can. It can't defend itself. And the argument that you're making against capital punishment is very much the same thing. An innocent person is defended by maybe a team of lawyers, but it can't defend itself against a system that may be corrupt, may be uh, incomplete, may be imperfect. And so your opposition to the death penalty is your way of defending a person who cannot defend himself, an innocent person. It's not unlike the conversation we had about Donald Sterling. It's standing up amidst the mob and going, hold on, are we sure? Because the consequences of the mistake are unacceptable. When I see these guys get Mm -hmm. released from prison after 30 years, they're hollow. They're a shell of the human being they used to be. And there's nothing you can do as a society. Zero. There's no amount of money you can do. To give that person their life back, to give their to make 30 that person years whole. Nothing. No, no, you can't. Well, uh, between all of our reasons, I think we made a pretty good case. But we do have a few people who are on the line uh, who are willing to convince us. Let's take uh, a break, Essie, and then we'll do a short segment on death penalty. And then, you know, I mean, I've been I've been pushing it. We got to do a game of bros. We got to got a grab bag of things. Yeah, Can, yeah. Do you have to? Are there black bros? What? It's an interesting question. I have an answer. It's an interesting question. I'll save it. What is age appropriate when dating? We have to ask bros that question. Let's get to that after a little more convince me on the death penalty on Cane and Cup when we come back. of talk radio on the blaze radio network Kane and Cup returns now. The vengeance argument. I'm surprised to learn not necessarily very persuasive to conservatives no. on Twitter in my feed. Who is Ed Snowden? Your argument for vengeance would allow for the return of the disembowelment in the public square. No, I don't think it justifies any and all punishments. But but how do you make the decision that the firing squad's okay, but disembowelment in the public square is not? I think mean, it's a line that society has to debate. It's the same one over cruel and unusual. I think there are some things that are beyond the pale, definitely. Nick Wilson on Twitter says, I reject the vengeance arguments. The death penalty can be argued based solely on utility. We've got right. a lot of calls, SE, who are ready to convince us. Um, let's listen to them. Let's start with Sage in Oklahoma. Hey, Sage. How are you? Good. How are you, SE? I'm great, thanks. Good. Um, so basically, I'm going to attempt to answer the question that Essie posed on Twitter, and the question is, should conservatives oppose the death penalty, correct? Yep. All righty. 
Well, I've been working in the field of psychology for a couple of years now, and I have I have had the experience of talking with, getting to know all kinds of different people with various mental afflictions, some of whom have committed heinous crimes, others not so much. With that being said, we know that a heinous crime is a crime that was committed odiously and wickedly, correct? Okay. I don't, I don't think um, we should. I don't think conservatives should condone the, the uh, death penalty. Um, it costs a lot of money, uh, more money than it costs to have an odious, wicked person in prison. Yeah. So it sounds Sage, like you agree correct, with this, Sage. Yeah, and it sounds like I'm correct me if I'm wrong, Sage, and this is not this is not an indictment, but you've not been listening to the show. You saw this you saw the question I posed on Twitter. That's why you said yeah, yeah. hi SC. Yeah, and, and that's fine. So so we <laughs> Yeah, so I mean we that's exactly those are exactly some of the arguments we laid out. The cost Okay, okay. So you need to start punitive. listening, Sage. That's what the point here is. All right. You no, need to start no, no, listening no, no. to the show. Don't. Oh, I, I completely agree. <laughs> don't, don't <laughs> yell, air. don't scold Sage. Don't just because one of your Twitter fans came in here and did, bypassed me. It was like out of a movie. I go, hey, good morning, Sage. He goes, hey, hey, Essie. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, all right, all right. All right. I think all right. Sa- the bottom line is all the people need to know. Sage agrees with us. All right, let's Ooh. go to Craig in San Diego who woke up early. Craig, you listening to the show this morning? Oh yeah. Been, all right. <laughs> been up here for a while. Good morning, Essie. Good morning, Will. Good morning. Good morning. Um. First off, I'm, I am a conservative. I'm a little agnostic on this. I think it should be a state-by-state decision. Mm. But I wanted to take, um, Will, your possibility of, in, of innocence question. Mm-hmm. You know, that some people are found out later through DNA. And the thing that came to my mind when you say that is Major Nadal Hassan. Okay, tell us why. Well, we know for sure he's guilty. Yeah. Yeah. We had eyewitnesses, and but he's going to plead. Since we know he's guilty, he's going to plead insanity. Same thing with John. The, I think it's John Holmes, the Colorado theater shooter. Right. James. Mm-hmm. James Holmes. James Holmes. Mm-hmm. We know he's guilty. Okay. So, Craig, your argument, your argument back to me, Craig, on my prospect of innocence mm-hmm. argument is that we know in some cases that they aren't innocent. And okay, so, well, my counter argument to your counter argument is if we know definitively, right? As in cases like that, where do you stand? You know, here's the thing: if I could ensure that uh, the death penalty were applied flawlessly, I would be for it. All of SC's hmm. arguments didn't sway me. I would be for it. But here's the deal: you can't uh, apply it ad hoc, right? We can't say, "Well, we know here." And oh, we are not sure over here because when we convict people, we think we know. It's only after the fact, after we go down the road. So it's like, I know, I agree with you. Hassan and Holmes are guilty. I want them to die. I want, I don't, I, I'm not a, opposed to country justice. Take them out back. Get it taken care of. Gotcha. <laughs> but the problem is you don't get to pick and choose, right? It has to be a uniform application. And when we send somebody to death, we almost always think we're 100% correct. I got to keep moving, Craig. Appreciate you putting it to me like that, though. Uh, tell all your friends to listen, so we don't have Sage. Sage, start listening. Tell all your don't, friends. Maybe to listen. Sage is on the road. Maybe Sage is working. Don't scold Sage for just don't, don't seeing my tweet. Don't defend him just because he came through the SE Cup Twitter mob. <laughs> Melissa in Georgia, convince us. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so first, 
Um, if that dude was on Twitter and working, then he should not be. On <laughs> anyway, but my maybe his it, job is to read people's tweets. You don't that know. Would be an awesome job. Can I also? I also want to point out, out there before we get to your substance, Melissa. I just want to point out that was an appropriate application of dude. <laughs> yes, it was. You got to use it right. Right. <laughs> um, but I am pro death penalty, not necessarily. Um, I think there are priorities that we each need to have and choose as a society, and I think that rule of law would indicate that there are certain levels. If you reach that criminality, then your consequence is death. I think that. So you uh, believe that it's just you believe it's just an appropriate response to a certain level of criminality, regardless of all the other things that we laid out. That that it might it might be cost ineffective it might not actually be a deterrent it has some moral question uh, questions behind it and logistically it might be difficult all of that doesn't matter because you think it's an appropriate response to a certain level of criminality i just want to make sure we get your point right yeah well in Mm -hmm. for the morality's sake i believe it maybe it is an eye for an eye underpinning on that but I believe if you take someone's life, you forfeited your own at that point. But haven't you forfeited your own if you're spending life in prison? I'm not entirely sure, and that I'm not, Hmm. you know, unwilling to say that I'm not entirely sure. I think there should be maybe, um, like, as far as justice and mercy, Hmm. the family of the victim maybe uh, could, if they felt like... That's interesting. They get a say. Yeah, they get a say if they feel like yeah. it is appropriate for the criminal or the one who committed the crime to spend their life in prison. I think they should have the opportunity to. Well, say look, that. and Melissa, we hear it time and time again. We have these episodes where a family of a victim comes out and says, "We want mercy. Right? We don't yeah, want the I, death I penalty." I believe that since they are the injured party, that they should have the ability to stay that. That cuts both ways, though. Uh, Melissa, yeah. thanks for the call. I, I want to point this out. Joanna Rivera on Twitter, who uh, has uh, known for a long time on Twitter, points out, I'm for the death penalty, and I guess I'm vengeful. My bro was recently murdered, and yeah, I want that man's life. Yeah, uh, you can't. It's impossible to argue with the victim of a heinous crime. I get that. I get the vengeance. I get the, the payback. The I understand that. But if we're having a larger philosophical argument about conservatives, politics, yep. where she, we should stand on this. I, I'm I'm not asking a victim to ch- to challenge their assumptions. That's a, an impossible ask. I'm a little right? surprised, Essie, that um, mm. a lot of the feedback I'm getting on Twitter and with some of the calls is that the conservatives should reconsider their position on, on the death penalty. Let's go to Bob in Pennsylvania. Mm. Hey, Bob. Hello. Hello. Um, uh, I... I... I am for the death penalty, uh, but I do struggle with it because I agree with a lot of what I've heard this morning. But my my reason I'm for the death penalty is because look at these two victims that you guys just talked about, the, the 19-year-old girl and the little baby. Uh, you know, uh, what, 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 what? How is it justifiable that their murderer gets to, even though it's in prison for the rest of his life, 
how did she get to live and, and, and breathe? And when that right was taken away from those people, I just... I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you, Bob. Um, that, uh, that I think that opinion, and let's call it what it is, I think it, it, that vengeance, that need for vengeance is justified. That's my opinion. I mean, it's certainly hard to argue with it. That that's that's my point. I mean, it's an emotional argument. I can't tell a victim not to feel a certain way. Right. But we, I mean, you and I battle constantly over uniformity, uniformity of application, putting emotions aside. Let's cut. Let's get some rules in place so that we always know where we stand. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really hard to do if vengeance. Is our only guidepost? Well, I don't think it's is, our only guidepost. I, I really, no, but 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 really, I mean, almost everyone calling in is zeroing in on that and tweeting is zeroing in on that aspect. They're not calling to debate the cost or whether it's an effective deterrent. I think most people consider that rote. The thing that gets people on this issue is the vengeance part, is the vengeance aspect of it. That yeah. I, that idea that we need equal justice. We need a response that feels adequate and satisf- satisfying. And that's if that's our guidepost, it's really difficult to pin that down and trust it reliably every time. Innocence is my guidepost. Steve Besner on Twitter points out minimum 4.1% of death row inmates are innocent. That's a lot of government killing innocent people. Mm. That's from a study this week. We don't know. There's a lot of different studies, but I did see that this week, the estimation that 4%, it was in the New York Times, 4% of the people on death row are innocent. Let's take a break, SC. Uh, we got a lot coming up on Kane and Cup when we come back. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Kane and Cup. This is fun. Love interacting with the audience. And I, I, I'm really pleased, you know, that we we hit on a topic that we asked conservatives to sort of challenge themselves on. And it turns out many of them are without without us. You know, it sounds like a lot of people yeah. are are questioning their own assumptions about what they've maybe always thought about capital punishment. But some and, are pro. Some are pro the death penalty. They're still willing, oh, sure. to, still willing to convince us. We only have a couple of minutes, so I want to do this. I want to go through some calls, and I want you to give me uh, – let's start with Justin in Illinois. Justin, give me your number one reason why conservatives should support the death penalty. Well, actually, it's a point that, uh, that Essie brought up earlier. Um, and it is that, uh, that prison is more punitive than the death penalty itself. So whether it's that rare case of a falsely accused person or not uh, makes a, a little difference because everything that can be done to prove their guilt is done. And um, if they're found guilty, it's, it's very rare that, it, that, that they're not. Oh, I think so you'd be surprised I'm, about that. I'm, I think not, we- I'm not uh, I'm, maybe I am. I haven't uh, exactly researched the numbers, but I'm not interested in um, in, in punishment. I'm, I'm simply interested in removing dangerous people from society. But doesn't jail do that as well? Doesn't jail remove them from society? Uh, it does, but in the case that uh, that it's an innocent person, you're now torturing that person for the rest of their life. 
We got to do something. We got to do something. Uh, We do have to do something. I agree. That's why I'm pro death penalty. All right. Thanks, Justin. Let's go to John in Kentucky. John proposes to have the non-emotional side of the death penalty. What's your number one reason? What's your number one reason, John? Well, the the issue that I keep seeing and talking with uh, one of my coworkers who used to be a prison guard, uh, prisons end up becoming a institute of higher education for the criminal-minded. And you end up having this individual that has already proven that he is a true danger to society, and you're giving him more ammo. And if he even makes it through death row and is executed, uh, the guys that he comes into contact with while he's in prison, he's ending up fueling the fire. Okay, so you're not saying but, you're but not John, saying that... that he becomes a career criminal and has a prospect of getting out. You're saying he has attempt essentially the essence to be a teacher in the criminal system. Correct. But John, doesn't that isn't that an argument for prison reform? Doesn't that have very little to do with whether there's a death penalty or guys are in prison for? I mean, this has nothing to do with the death penalty because you can make the same argument about a guy who's in prison for a year. Yeah, well, and and I I go back into a tier level standard of if you have already taken away somebody else's life, liberty, and their pursuit for happiness. Um, uh, ergo, they've already made that choice for themselves, and we already and, – and this is kind of where I would go back into let's do this out in the public square to actually make it a deterrent because I think we sugarcoat it too much and make it too gentle and too kind for people to sit there and actually look at this as being a, uh, a punitive measure by using, using right. the death penalty. I, mean, let's, up, uh... I, I think if people to realize that – this is going to be a brutal way for you to go. I'm going to hang you upside down and drip polo in your nose until you die. Wow. I think that would end up curtailing a lot of other people from making a choice that would put them in that chopping block area as well. Hmm. All right, let's take one more call. Let's go to Linda in Washington, who is ready to convince us. Good morning. I'm wondering if you have thought of the uh, studies that have been um, conducted wherein the uh, uh, death penalty has proven to be a deterrent to uh, to criminal minds. Well, look, I, a lot, most of the studies we're reading uh, suggest the opposite, but uh, I'm sure you can find examples where uh, where someone is arguing that the death penalty is an effective deterrent. I just haven't seen that. I haven't seen that over a long history of of time over different sort of geographical areas. I just don't think that that's been proven. And, well, and if it if it had been proven, that might convince me, but there's still so many other factors near that I think should make conservatives challenge what they think they know. Many people point out it is a deterrent to at least one person, the criminal who no longer has his life. Um, look, it was a fun no, game of no, convince me. No, no, we gotta go. You can't, you He already did it. You don't have time to rebut. We have he to go. He already did it. We gotta go. We're gonna come back with Game of Bros and why the appropriate response to Benghazi is not dude. You're listening to Kane and Cobb. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Will Kane, S.E. Cobb, R. Kane and Cobb. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Yeah, this has been a good morning, a good discussion with everybody. Death mm. penalty. Donald Sterling, back and forth, open for discussion. I feel good, like we exercised a lot of demons here, you know? We got a lot of good conversation out. 
Exactly. So let's have some fun. Okay. Who is Ed Snowden on Twitter says Game of Bros is where the show goes off the rails. It was good. That's up my to favorite part. He said, "Am I too old?" Well, don't go, Ed, because that actually is the topic of today's Game of Bros. Yeah. So here's the deal. <laughs> Age appropriate dating in Game of Bros. Our friend Fox News contributor Jedediah Bila says this on Twitter: Age appropriate dating is a great topic. Signed, gray hair makes me giddy. Not know that about you, Jedediah. This is what I, I feel like, and we'll explain the topic. But this might be a better question for women. No, it's than not. bros. Incorrect. All right. Tell us why we're talking about this, Essie. <laughs> Take it away. Well, I, I thought it was interesting. You know, everyone's obsessing over the fact that George Clooney, the world's most eligible bachelor, is now engaged. And we have seen George's dating history from models to Vegas cocktail waitresses to dancers. I mean, you know, all, I'm sure, lovely women. But uh, I think a lot of people sort of got the sense that, well, he can't really be serious. He's not serious. He doesn't want to commit. He doesn't want to settle down because he's dating these dancers and cocktail waitresses and um, wrestlers. Lovely, lovely girls. Lovely girls. But he didn't look serious. And actually, that started rumors that maybe he was gay. What? Uh, also rumors that, you know, he's just, he's going to be a bachelor for life. He has no interest in getting married. Right. But he is now engaged, and he is engaged to a woman who, is, her name is Amal Alamuddin. She's British, and very successful lawyer, uh, very well-accomplished, intelligent. She is sort of a a famous person in her own right in that, you know, she's not, she's not an actress or anything, but she she's uh, in the news for, uh, I think, I think her main interest is privacy laws. Okay. And um, just very well accomplished, travels in very well-heeled circles, knows a lot of important, famous politicians and, and, and famous people, high society. And she is 36 years old, which I thought... For George Clooney, who is 52, seemed age appropriate. You, in fact, and emailed it me. It made that. me think, yeah, and it made me think, okay, I think we can put the gay and serial bachelor rumors to rest because he's clearly settling down with someone who seems to be, in the long term, interesting and challenging and, you know, like I said, age appropriate. And uh, so maybe he's investing in a long-term relationship with someone who is not just a cocktail waitress or someone that looks good on his arm at at, at award ceremonies, which is and, what people suggested he was really interested and in. And in fact, you emailed me all this this week, and you included in your email that he had, in fact, uh, settled down with somebody who was age-appropriate. My response to you is, who are you to define <laughs> age-appropriate? You were outraged. And I said, I think I know who to ask about age appropriateness. Roll the theme, Johnny. You ask a game of bros. What is age appropriate? How low can you go in dating? <laughs> I made myself laugh. Uh, let me introduce <laughs> us to uh, our game of bros panel today. We have, as we usually do, um, our friend John. John, um, how old are you? I don't you? have headphones on. That's Go ahead. okay. How old are you, John? I'm 40. You're 40? Yes. 
Okay, so we're going to propose this question to you. Let us also introduce our other game of Bros panelist, who was with us a little bit earlier, Reggie. Reggie, how old are you? I'm 28. Okay. And for the record, Reggie, you're black. Yes, I am. Still black. Okay. Still Good. black and inconsequential Good. so far in this topic. <laughs> I just want to make, for the record. <laughs> we'll let Reggie lay out if this question has a white answer and a black answer to it. But uh, uh, we'll start with Reggie. Um, Reggie, what's the standard for age appropriateness on dating? Like, how low can you go? Well, see, I don't really see an age like I don't feel like there is a, but if I were to put a, uh, the, number the law on disagrees it, with you. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, you have to be legal, of course. Okay. Yes, let's you just, have to be legal. Just for our own, for the sake of our show, <laughs> let's just get it out there. Everyone agrees there is a there is an age that it's too there, low to there, go. Yes, there is an age. Like eighteen <laughs> and over is legal. Yes, correct. That okay, is that great. Is, let's get that out of the way. What's your personal line, Reggie? <laughs> um, I would say seven years. Seven. So you would date a twenty wow. year twenty one year old, but not a twenty year old. Correct. Really? Seven how- is so arbitrary. How'd you come up with that, Reggie? Actually, um, when I was in college, um, <clears throat> a friend of mine actually said that seven years, seven years of bad luck, seven years of good luck, and just just had a whole kind of an essay. They wrote out an essay literally on this. <laughs> oh, of this age is appropriateness. mystical. Yeah. This is why, Essie, I told you this is the perfect question to uh, <laughs> put to a game of bros because you're, you're, if you're, you, say so. you are, uh, your wonderment is how he came up with that answer. I know how he came up with that answer because he's had extensive debates <laughs> with his friends about this. Okay. He's not just shooting from the hip here. <laughs> But He's, I just think it's interesting that you you're, you don't you don't think that women have had the same conversation, and that and that question is how old would you go? Right now, what, since we're dealing with bros right now, do you have that also, Reggie? How old would you go? Seven years. Well. Seven either seven way. Yeah, Reggie either is way, firm yes. on seven. Will seven, yes, I am. <laughs> not moving from seven. No. It uh, is, seven will be the answer to every question you ask, Reggie. By the way, that's for black and white, right? It's it's race neutral policy, correct? <laughs> All right, let's let's give John the headphones. Let's bring in the forty-year-old now. I'm going to guess that the forty-year-old's line is a little broader than seven years. John, what's your line? There is no number. Come on, uh, again, 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 Look, again. Not, disclaimer: there is a number. No, there isn't. In my opinion, is if you get along with someone, their age is what what is appropriate. Is if you're not friends with everyone that's your age, are you? No, you, you don't are get not along. friends with you any seven-year-olds. Here, here's the no. thing: you don't get along with everyone who is your age. Well, I'm not saying anyone under 18. Okay, but good. I'm I saying just make sure as long as someone is old enough. And I wouldn't. I guess for me, 21 would be as low as. So as after age. all your your happy so talk, there is a, there is a line. <laughs> well, here's my point. Um, as long as they're in college, they can have a discussion. I think on a more intellectual level than just oh you know, so now they school. have to be college educated well this is part of the discussion i promise you it's <laughs> mature maybe maybe i shouldn't say college i should just say maturity a okay. maturity level that's maybe maybe, you know, maybe commu- community college bachelor degree associate's degree high school where's the line? high school <laughs> high school diploma he just <laughs> said <laughs> high school no diploma. it's not okay, even but- look you don't even need to go to there i think the, the putting a number on it is something that's i think has Little to do with the actual uh, workings of a relationship. Well, how high would you go? Yeah, but John, but John, well, let me just question John one second because John first started out by saying, look, you know, you have friends of all ages. 
That's not true. I don't have 90-year-old friends. He, I have 90-year-old grandparents. T- see, that was the happy talk John started with and then completely cut his own legs out. With the- I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's, but I think he's right that it should be focused on, okay, there is a broad age group of people that you can probably relate to and identify with, but that is not 20 to 90. It depends on how old you are That's and, right. you know, whether you have friends in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. I'm 35. I don't Normal. have friends who are 90. I don't have friends who are 18. Normally, I, most of the people you get along with, most of the people you have a lot in common with are around your age. So well, right. Okay. To that, so to you're that totally point, backtracking. No. Well, to that point, <laughs> to that point. You know it, you're it, arguing with yourself. It, it, <laughs> I don't think so. I think I'm able to figure How this high out. would you go? Let's get to the numbers again. How high would you go? Uh, probably uh, 50. 50. Okay. So that's 10 years older than you. Now, there is a rule, Essie. I'm going to explain it to the two bros that they've... Clearly haven't vetted this out. You have to be out. 21 so they can drink, right? No, there is a, there's a formula, and it's been well vetted and debated from college dorm rooms to the halls of justice. It is this. <laughs> Here is the formula. It's half your age plus seven. Reggie was right. Seven is in the formula. But it's half your age plus seven, and it always works. Reggie's 28. Take it to 14. Add seven. He can date a 21-year-old. Bang! Right there. John's 40. Take it to 20, add 7. He can date a 27-year-old. But a 26-year-old, John, she's too young for you. Her conversation's not going to work. I think you're right. We wouldn't get along uh, conversation-wise in most cases, but that doesn't mean that every case we wouldn't get along. This is a ridiculous formula. (laughs) It's the correct. This is ridiculous. John can date a 27-year-old, but not a 26-year-old. That's ridiculous. All all, all this mathematics (laughs) stuff, these formulas, it's... uh, I always equate it with OCD. <laughs> I think you're well, OCD when you start developing formulas for this. Does what's that, your, what's d- your Will, formula? Does that, Will, but Will, does that work? How does that work for how old a guy can date? Or, or that's out of the question because guys don't date older. Never thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Of no, course. no, no. Uh, okay, Essie, now give me, give me the- You're uh, putting cougars out of business. N- never would I want to do that. Never would I want to do that. Right. Um, give me your formula, Essie. What's I the, have you no said formula women, because I'm not, I'm not a child. I'm not a child. I don't have a formula. That's ridiculous. Uh, uh, you know, women, I think most women are open to older men. Um, uh, you know, there are varying degrees of how much older. Uh, but, you know, I would, I, I have dated older. I, I generally dated older. And I would go, let's see, it's at 35. I would go up to 60. I mean, I'm married, so it's not an issue, but I would go up to 60 at, at, at 35. Interesting. Gray hair also does it for you. Um, oh, yeah. I love a silver fox. But also, it's just, I mean, it's just about sort of like wisdom, experience. So That's younger, appealing. younger is harder for you. To, I've to never date. dated younger. I don't no. think I could. Okay. No. All right. Let's do this. I had to tag this on because I found it fascinating. We got Reggie with us today, who's uh, uh, verified <laughs> who's with us several times this morning. It's been reiterated he's black. Um, Reggie, are there black bros? Can a bro be black, or is bro a white thing? There can be black bros, but it's a small, small minority. <laughs> I, know, I know lots of black bros, let me tell you. I know lots of black bros. I know New England black bros, and I know southern, sort of South Carolina area black bros. And it really isn't, There's there really isn't a big difference. I don't see a racial difference from white bro to black bro. It is the bro affect that I think we tried to hone in on last week that is confident, that isn't always self-aware of his broness. Is, um, that, is that the black bro as well, Reggie? Maybe a little athletic, maybe a little sporty, attention to certain uh, 
vesticular uh, All right. features. <laughs> Right. Is that the definition of a black bro as well, Reggie? Close enough. <laughs> he's he's clamming up. Well, Reggie, <laughs> describe a black bro to me. Um, are you a bro, can, Reggie? Are you a bro? I, a little bit, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. See, Reggie's a bro. And he admitted that he's in a double minority in this respect. So there's a few black <laughs> bros. <laughs> there's a, there's a few. There's a few. <laughs> All right. We're going to have to leave it here. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, we still have to figure out how a bro made it into the high levels of government and felt the need to mm. tell Brett Baer, dude, when dude. we come back on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Did you also change attacks to demonstrations in the talking points? Uh, maybe. I don't really remember. You don't remember? Dude, this was like two years ago. We're still talking about the Dude, most mundane the process of editing. So we're talking about the process of editing talking points. That's what bureaucrats do all well, day we, long. Your producers the, edit scripts the key multiple times. Attacks. Dude. Dude. It's like two years ago, dude. Tommy Vitor is the ultimate bro. Jonathan Diaz on Twitter asked, so guys, what defines a bro? Mildly confused. Mm. We did that last week, Jonathan, and I think we all agree in spirit, but we haven't nailed down a definition. I think Essie and I both agree. Tommy Vider, a Vitor, Vitor, on <laughs> Brett Bayer show on Fox this week, answering questions about Benghazi and the lying coming from the administration regarding what was to blame in Benghazi. Dude. It's a dude. He's a bro. Dude. 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 He's dude. a bro. I don't remember. Dude, I, I don't know. It was like two years ago. Dude, why are you hassling me, bro? Don't tase me, bro. No, this was amazing television. I know Tommy. Uh, I've had Tommy on Crossfire a number of times. Is he nice a bro? Guy. Is he a bro? Well, well, clearly now. I didn't know he was a bro until this Fox interview. And clearly, we know now he's a bro. Um, it was such an odd decision to go on with that kind of cavalier attitude when four people are dead. Yeah. The president of the United States lied. The State Department lied. There was a massive cover-up. We now know that's all true, and, and it was for political purposes. Um, to go on and sort of af- affect this bro tude to Brett Bear. I don't remember. I don't know, dude. Dude, it was like two years ago. Why are you hassling me? Dude, get over it. Dude. Amazing. Um, yeah. And he didn't stop there. I mean, when, when the backlash, uh, the understandable backlash happened... He went, of course, running to friendlier confines at MSNBC and um, Chris Hayes and, and, and he spoke about it and he really continued sort of the bro attitude. Really? And he, yeah, oh, yeah. He told Chris Hayes, Brett was asking me to remember if I changed a word on September 14th, 2012, my frustration came through. I guess you're only supposed to use the Queen's English on Fox. I don't know how this is escaping him. As somebody who uses colloquial and sometimes offensive language and who has gotten chastised for it. Even you would not even make this I mistake. would not go, dude. Dude. <laughs> but, it, but then he followed it up with Chris. He said, but obviously what happened that day was an absolute tragedy. He doesn't have to say that if he didn't preface all of this with dude. He's saying that because 
No one thinks he understands how serious this story is. Because he said, dude, that was like two years ago. Uh, Mark my words, Tommy Vitor will never be president. (laughs) Because he said, dude, that was like two years ago. But here's what this reminded me of. And if you're a fan of the show, you probably know where I'm going with this. Play that. So I said, uh, hey, dude, you better step off. Step off? Yeah. You said step off? Wow! <laughs> that, that is too much! <laughs> hey, uh, hey, uh, Tony. Turning his hat backwards. Yeah. I just had this brainstorm for us. Can you guess what it is? No. Bowling. What do you say? Bowling, huh? Bowling's insane! Bowling is crazy time! Bowling. I don't think so, George. You get no rush from bowling. Rush? You want a rush? Drop a ball on your toe, my friend. Talk about a rush. You'll be throbbing. You'll see visions. I'm thinking rock climbing. All right, rock climbing. Yes. All right, all right. Uh, hey, I'll make some sandwiches. There yeah, you what, go. What, what do you like, tuna, peanut butter? What, whatever. All right, all right. I got to buy some bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, I am definitely Sandwiches down line makes the... Uh... Me too. I am down. I am totally down. I am down. Put me down. Mark me I down. I am so down. Mark me down. That's, of course, George Costanza trying to be a bro to his new bro idol, Tony. You know, there is some nuance... <laughs> There's some nuance in where you can use dude, okay? Honestly, like uh, a caller earlier uh, used it mm-hmm. appropriately. Melissa. Mm-hmm. Melissa said, that dude. Appropriate application. There are even instances where you would say in frustration to someone, dude. Dude. God, dude. But at- You know where you can't use it? Yeah, I do know. <laughs> <laughs> On Fox News with Brett Bear talking about Benghazi where four people died. Right. Yeah, you can't use dude there. How quick was Brett Bayer? Dude, everyone's talking about it. Dude, it's what everyone is talking about. Dude. Well, that's because, uh, little known fact, I know Brett Bayer, he's also a dude. He's a bro. I believe that. Brett's a bro. Brett's a great guy. Brett would fit um, in on a Game of Bros panel, for sure. Can I just ask a real quick question? I was talking this over with someone who thinks that Tommy Vitor was 100% coached to affect that nonchalant attitude. Do really? you believe that? Really? I mean, it seems crazy to me because no. no one would knowingly go in and act like such an ass on television uh, uh, over such a tragedy. But uh, my friend, who's politically, you know, well informed, uh, thought 100% someone coached him to, to act like that. I don't believe it. And let me tell you something you can't go around using words like that because it makes me feel like there are no rules. And who knows what I'll say next? When you say ass, I could say anything to get me fired. Please keep it. Color in Ass the lines. Ass is okay. Ass is okay. Color in the lines, okay? <laughs> Let's sort all this out with Kane and Cup when we come back. This is Kane and Cup, part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.
Will Kane and SE Cup return. Welcome back to Kane and Cup. I'm SE Cup. And I'm Will Kane. Will, do you watch um do you watch the show Louis? No. Is that right? Is that what it's called, Louis? Yeah, I think so. With Louis C.K.? Yeah, I've seen his stand-up act. He's very funny. He's really funny. Um, but apparently he's also really mad. He's really mad at Common Core. Um, he is a New York City parent. And he's really peeved at uh, the, standardized, the standardized testing that Common Core uh, endorses. And he went on Twitter to complain about it, as one does. And he wrote, uh, my kids used to love math. Now it makes them cry. Thanks, standardized testing and Common Core. And uh, he got some response, actually a lot of positive response from other parents who said, thanks for writing. I totally agree. My kids used to love it, too. I used to love teaching math and reading, and now it's become about the tests. Thanks for saying what you said. He went back to Twitter and he uh, said, sorry, I sit with my kids as they do their homework. They devour knowledge. When it's hard, they step up. Their teachers are great, but it's changed in recent years. It's all about these tests. It feels like a dark time. Nothing is going in anymore. It's this massive stress ball that hangs over the whole school. The kids' teachers trying to adapt to these badly written notions. Okay, I'm done. This is just one dumb, fat parent's point of view. I'm pissed because I love New York City public schools, mice, lice, and all. <laughs> now, he he also got some back, back uh, backlash on this because people thought, why are you getting political? You're a comedian. Stick to comedy. You know, you're only allowed to go into politics if it's uh, for a pro-liberal agenda. Oh. And so, of course, his, his liberal friends did not did not appreciate this. And in fact, he actually got into a Twitter war with my former editor at the Daily News, who is now at Newsweek, Alex Nazarian, who said the things Louis C.K. says about school, technology, etc., are shallow and trite. But they are said with emphasis and thus sound deep. Louis C.K. wrote back, The things you say about me are shallow and mean. But, parentheses in your Twitter photo, you posed in front of some books for your pick and thus sound smart. <laughs> now, Louis C.K. also went on. I do not on, want to get in a Twitter war with a comedian like it, Louis no, C.K. No, you don't. He also went on Letterman and despite, you know, a lot of the negative attention he's gotten for this, he did not back down. He said, if a school's kids don't test well, they burn the school down. He says he's tired of these inane testing questions like, Bill has three goldfish. He buys two more. How many dogs live in London? (laughs) (laughs) It's great. I mean, obviously, you and I will have talked about Common Core, and you're a parent in New York City, like Louis C.K., and you've talked about charter schools and all the problems there. Um, Is Louis C.K. allowed to be a parent in addition to being a professional comedian? Of course. They mine their lives for their material anyway. I mean, their their Mm. life is nothing but a field they they plow. I'm mixing metaphors uh, for jokes. Um, but it's interesting. But this wasn't a joke. I mean, he was making a serious point. That's true. And I, one thing I find interesting in this as I listen to you laying it out is that the opposition to uh, standardized testing is not necessarily a, pi- uh, a partisan one. It's not as though uh, those on the right are opposed and those on the left 
uh, are in support of testing. Mm-hmm. It is uh, the far left, the far left progressive movement, headed up by uh, I don't know if you know who she is, but a lady named Diane Ravitch. She's one of the uh, the biggest, what I would call, blocks in the road to 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 education reform, opposed to charter schools, is also poor, opposed to standardized testing, and they feel like it puts teachers under the thumb. And it's true that the tests are there to try to make the teachers accountable, right? So the far mm-hmm. left is actually opposed to it as well. They don't want any tests. And I don't know where Louis coming at it from. And there's a strong opt-out movement, right? They don't want any tests. Now, many on the right, their opposition, I feel like, and I'm happy to hear from some of the audience on Twitter at Will Kane at SC Cup, um, is against Common Core in particular. It is mm-hmm. the – it is the um, – standardization writ nationwide, right? It's the, it's the, uh, I know Glenn Beck has a book coming out this week called Conform. It is mm-hmm. that we all must learn the same way. We must all right. learn the same material. Um, and that would be my opposition to Common Core, that it is anti-innovative in that respect. I think yeah, we need- Yeah, he seems to be conflating. Yeah. We need accountability. Tests and, and, and Common Core. He seems to have two enemies in standardized tests and, and Common Core. And, right. and maybe they're different things for different reasons, but he put- sort of both of them in the spotlight and you know it seems like average people especially other teachers and parents are really on his side and all of the negative backlash has been from like celebrity types and like professional liberals right who who don't think now what i propose we do will is because this is not a new phenomenon, you know, celebrities weighing into politics. And just because we agree with Louis C.K. on this issue doesn't mean that suddenly we should all care what celebrities have to say about politics. I am I I really hate when conservatives who rail against celebrity culture and Hollywood, which is devoid of morality and values and all that, until a Hollywood celebrity comes out as a conservative. And then we love that celebrity. We love Clint Eastwood. Give him, give him a, a stage at the RNC. I hate that. Either we think Hollywood celebrities have nothing valuable to say about politics, or we stop bashing Hollywood writ large as an institution and a place where nothing good can come. You can't have it both ways. So what I propose is, after the break... I'm going to quiz you. Oh. And You're going to are... apply your own standardized test to me. Yes. Yes. Was that a stretch? Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. You will not be asked how many dogs live in London. But I'm going to quiz you on who said what. I am going to read some truly terrible and moronic quotes from celebrities about politics. And I'll give you some hints along the way. And I want you to guess who said it. All right. How does that sound? It sounds great. Okay, let's do that after the break. Kane and Cup. This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Follow me on Twitter at Will Kane. Follow SC at SC Cup. SC Cup, who has a quiz for me now on celebrity pundits or pundit celebrities or just celebrities yeah. that say stuff. Yeah, celebrities that say stuff. Uh, yeah, Louis C.K. 
you know, gotten a little hot water over some comments he made on uh, about Common Core. Comments I think a lot of our listeners would agree with, but nonetheless, it's tough when a celebrity dips his or her toe into the realm of politics. Uh, because people like us judge them harshly because we're professional pundits. And the rest of the world, the rest of the, you know, the country and the world listens very intently because these are very influential people with big microphones and lots of fans. And so it's always a a sticky situation. And some celebrities have had not great luck with this. So I'm going to read some of the worst all-time offenders. And I want you to guess who said it. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Fire. Quote number one. I propose a limitation to be put on how many squares of toilet paper can be used in any one sitting. Now, I don't want to rob any law-abiding American of his or her God-given rights, but I think we are an industrious enough people that we can make it work with only one square per restroom visit. Who said it? Now, I'm going to tell you this. I love this conversation. It should be one we come back to. What is the appropriate... (laughs) way to handle that business i have proposed it to you you're very scared of that conversation now yep i don't know because i'm being but i do have a seinfeld thought that would work for it well that that's what i was gonna say i'm thrown off because my my i'm tempted to say julia lewis dreyfus because she said not a square not a square to spare spare. (laughs) it is not julia louis dreyfus i'll give you a hint okay she is a singer, and she said this specifically about touring. Cheryl and Crow. How many? Yes. I got a hint. Somebody help me. Yes. Out. Somebody help me. <laughs> Cheryl Crow is the genius who thinks we should regulate. We should regulate squares of toilet paper. I'm going to tell you something. It makes me like her a little bit. I mean, if you're going to go on the regulation front, just go all the way. Go crazy. Uh, go nuts. You should dictate. Should we be bunchers or folders? One square per restroom visit. Do you see how I just glided right over the thing you just said? Yeah. I just glided right past it. Are you a buncher or a folder? I'm just going to glide right past it again. (laughs) Okay, I have another one. (laughs) Quote number two. Ready? Uh, I'm trying, yeah. (laughs) In a situation like this, of course you identify with everyone who's suffering, but we must also think about the terrorists who are creating such horrible future lives for themselves because of the negativity of this karma. It's all of our jobs to keep our minds as expansive as possible. If you can see the terrorists as a relative who's dangerously sick, and we have to give them medicine, and the medicine is love and compassion. Oh, I kind of. There's nothing better. I kind of remember this. Uh, But I'm going to need a hint. But I'm just going to, before you give me a hint, I'm going to fire just... Because I'm going to go towards the far end of the crazy talk I can think of. Matthew Modine from Full Metal Jacket. No, that's a good one, though. He is 100% crazy. Uh, It was not Matthew Modine. I'll give you a hint. He's friends with the Dalai Lama. Bill Murray? Caddyshack? (laughs) No. He's got total These are not quotes from movies. These are not quotes. These are actual things that these people said. You're right. I keep going to the movies. <laughs> um, well, I've got a little bird in my ear throughout this, so I'm going to go ahead and co-opt their answer. Uh, Who is helping you? That is so not kosher. 
Richard Gere? It is Richard Gere, but I'm going to stop this game if you keep getting hints. That's not the point. Okay, all right. John, keep it to yourself. Cheating on my standardized test. Keep it to yourself. Richard Gere. That's a little even outside the bounds of what I would expect from Richard Gere. Really? Yeah. Really? Do you know Richard Gere was filming a movie in New York City this week? He was dressed up as a homeless man. He was in character for the shoot, and a tourist came up and gave him a meal. Thought he was a real homeless man. Yeah. Did you know? Well, look, uh, what Richard Gere said was um, ridiculous, but I love him. He's such a great actor. Uh, And and aforementioned, Silver Fox. Oh. Okay, next quote. Shut your face, John. (laughs) (laughs) He just leaned back from the mic. Shut your pie hole, John. Okay, next quote. Republican control of the House has resulted in poison in the water, salmonella in the food, carbon dioxide in the air, and toxic waste in the ground. Rachel Maddow. Let me, no, let me read that again. Republican control of the House has resulted in poison in the water, salmonella in the food. This is the part you need to listen to. Carbon dioxide in the air. Oh, okay. And toxic waste in the ground. I highlight that because, yes, there is carbon dioxide in the air, thankfully. Oh, right. John thankfully. tried to help me. I told him not to. Um Shut your face, John. Um, we're living out loud here, John. Quit, quit making those faces at me. Um, it's not Rachel Maddow. It's a celebrity. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm gonna go. Are, how are you not understanding the very easy rules of this game? It's not. <laughs> it's not a movie quote. It's not a Seinfeld quote, and it's not a pundit like Rachel Maddow. Leonardo DiCaprio. Celebrity. Leonardo DiCaprio. Somebody very concerned about carbon. No, that's a good guess, but it's Barbara Streisand. Of course, it is. Okay, here's a good one. You're frustrated. Okay, yes. I'm frustrated on um, on a number of levels. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my game is being undermined by John. Because it is. <laughs> and I feel like you're not understanding the really simple rules of this game. Because I'm a fool, and you've got two minutes left. Go. <laughs> Quote number four. I'm not sure about the parties, but whatever they have in Korea, that's bad. <laughs> Political parties? What are we talking about here? Yeah, political parties. I'm not sure about the political parties, but whatever they have in Korea, that's bad. Um, let me have... let me tell you, this guy this guy is not of age. Oh, okay, that's my hint. He's not of age. Um, Frankie Muniz. <laughs> what? You are the worst ever at Justin this game. Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber. There you go. Did John just tell you that? No, I swear. That was I got one. I don't even believe you. I didn't get it at first because John just pointed out to me he's of age. Yeah, you got it. You got it after Frankie Muniz. (laughs) I'm embarrassed for you. We're going to have to leave it here on this game. We're not going to have time to get to your fifth riveting trivia question to me. (laughs) Chris Salcedo is coming up. He's about to take this thing back uh, back to in between the lines. Pull us back out of the ditch, get it back between the lines. Had a lot of fun this morning, had some serious debates, some serious open-ended debates on where conservatives should be on the death penalty, on when the mob uh, untethers itself from any rule of justice and where it can go and where that slippery slope is. I would love to continue the conversation on Twitter, at Will Kane and at SC Cup. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. That's the whole point. These conversations need to keep going, keep having them with us. Um, tell Will how to play a game. Don't you tell me anything. Shut your mouth when you're talking to me. You, of course, can download this. Tell all your friends. They can download this on iTunes, Kane and Cup. You can also get it on SoundCloud. Both Essie and I will tweet that out later today. Mm-hmm. Let's get this bigger. Let's get more people involved in this conversation. Essie and I will be back next week, 9 a.m. 
Kane and Cup Saturday mornings. Love hanging out with you. Have a good weekend. Listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network.